0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, July ninth, twenty fourteen. Now we are totally back on track this week. That's right, we're going to continue working through our series on 1 Corinthians. It's a light episode on a Wednesday. A full broadcast week here at Fighting for the Faith. In other words, looks like we're settling in here in Grand Forks. for tuning in you're listening to fighting for the faith my name is chris roseborough i am your servant in jesus christ and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment the goal of which help you to think biblically help you to think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of god to the word of god no shortage of crazy things being said out there we take the time slow down stop open up our bibles and see if what people are saying squares with what god's word says in context if it doesn't well, then we warn you about it. And uh, part of the, the the job of learning discernment is actually understanding what God's Word says. That means studying, you know, have you ever heard of this idea? Studying books of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, kind of a weird concept. It's a weird idea nowadays. Um but uh, wh- one of the things we do here at Fighting for the Faith is we study different books of the Bible uh, through the lectures that are available by good Bible teachers out there. And we've been listening to a current series uh, on the book of 1 Corinthians put out there by Pastor Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, and uh, pretty excited about this one, to be honest with you. Uh, in fact, we'll just get right to it. Here's Pastor Ron Hodel.
1: Well, um, With that, let's uh, get into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to just read the end of that, um, starting uh, starting with verse uh, 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my dear, my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or with love in the spirit of gentleness. I sent to you Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. I said uh, as we finished last time that uh, Paul is getting at catechesis, he's getting at the teaching of the faith. He talks about my way in Christ or my ways in Christ. And when he's talking about that, he's talking about the truth of the gospel in its fullest sense, you know, the, the law and the gospel. He's talking about the way of the cross that he just talked about when he was talking with the with the Corinthians, um that that pattern of life that he talked about uh, a little bit earlier, where he says, To this present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our hands. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He's talking about teaching of the gospel. He's talking about his the way of, of, of life in Christ. Um, and he says that uh, this is the way he teaches in every church. It kind of reflects his apostolic witness wherever he goes. It's the same gospel, and it's the same way of life in Christ. Um, And then he says, there's going to be opposition to my ways in Christ. Opposition. Um, I'll just read part of an email to you. Uh, Dr. Rosenblatt sends these out every once in a while. And uh, uh, um, Albert Moeller is the the author of this little article. I won't read the whole article uh, for you, but it says, it is well and good, quote, it is well and good for the preacher to base his sermon on the Bible, but he better get to something relevant pretty quickly, or we'll start mentally to check out. That stunningly clear sentence reflects one of the most amazing, tragic, and lamentable characteristics of contemporary Christianity: an impatience with the Word of God. The sentence above comes from Mark Galley, Senior Editor of Christianity Today, in an article or an edit in, in an essay entitled Yawning at the Word. In just a few hundred words, he captures the tragedy of a church increasingly impatient and resistant to the reading and preaching of the Bible. We may wince when we read him relate his recent experiences, but we also recognize the ring of truth. Gali was told to cut down on the biblical references in his sermon. You'll lose people, the staff member warned. Um, and, and it goes on. And then he says, Anyone who's been in the preaching and teaching business knows that these are not isolated examples, but relate the larger reality. Indeed, in many churches, there's very little reading of the Bible in worship, and sermons are marked by attention to the congregation's concerns, not by an adequate attention to the biblical text. The exposition of the word has given way to the concerns, real or perceived, of the listeners. The authority of the Bible is swallowed up in the imposed authority of congregational concerns. So there's Paul, Paul recognizes that there's going to be opposition to my ways in Christ. Um, some people are going to be puffed up and arrogant, not, not everybody, but some, and he's going to get to this a little bit later on because he's going to say the danger in just some is that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Um, it seems that, that there were some in the congregation that were simply saying, you know, don't bother listening to Paul. He's one of these itinerant preachers. He's a traveling sophist, um, whom we're never going to see again. Um, so you can write him off and we'll just do things our way. And Paul says, no, um, I have every intention of, of returning to see you in Corinth. I will come to you soon. He says, God willing. Um, Paul, uh, Paul, um, qualifies his comment, of course. Um, he knows that it may be that the Lord has other plans for him, but if it's up to him, um, he's going to be coming and seeing them. And if Paul comes, which apparently he did, because, uh, from Acts chapter 20, uh, we read, now he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. When he had done that, he came to Greece, which probably meant Corinth. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was, uh, he was about to set sail for Syria. He decided to go through Macedonia. So Paul makes it back to Corinth. And, and when he says, I'm coming, it, he says, it's going to be a day of reckoning. Um, when he arrives, will he find them holding on to what is powerful? And of course, what is powerful is the word of the cross. All right. Or will they be holding on to the Empty, Christless words of the world. The words of power, prestige, of worldly wisdom, of knowledge, but words that are devoid of the gospel. What are they going to be hanging on to? The powerful words of Christ or the words of the world? Um, Paul says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Um, And I don't think he's talking about Christian preaching here. I think he's talking about idle talk, powerless talk that is ineffective. Um, idle, powerless talk doesn't lead to the kingdom of God. Only the power of the cross leads to leads to God's kingdom. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk and rhetorical spin, but of solid, built-on-the-rock word of God preaching and teaching. All right? And this comes only through the word of Christ alone. And so Paul ends with a very sharp sentence. Uh, He says, what do you wish? When I come, shall I come to you with a rod, a walking stick? Uh, Not not one of those light little things, um, but a walking stick um, that I can use to strike you because you are arrogantly opposed to the gospel. Um, Or should I come in the spirit of gentleness? Because they've allowed themselves to be moved by the the Spirit's power um, through the word of the cross. Um, he says, either way, it's your call. Um, now, uh, Paul's gonna come, and he's gonna do his fatherly duty, okay, his pastoral duty, um, even if that means he's gotta have it out with him. Um, uh, but, uh, but his preference is that they repent and, uh, make it possible for, it to, for him to come in a spirit of love and gentleness. Um, now it is a spirit of, of love to come and point out their errors. Okay. Um, that, that, that it would be unloving if he would just let things be. That would be an unloving thing. I see you walking toward a cliff backwards and in love, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So I'm not going to tell you of the danger that's coming. You know, that's hardly love. Um, so what he's doing here is he's saying, I'm going to come in love. Um, but will it be with a, with a rod, that we have to have this out, or um, in gentleness, because you've repented? Okay, um, let's take a look at chapter 5. Um, I'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll break it up into different pieces. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body I am present in spirit, and as if present I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled... For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us then celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy uh, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, the swindlers, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil one from among you. Okay, nice simple text there. Um, uh, 1 through 5, let's just take a look at that. It's reported that there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. And he ends um, with, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit May be saved in the days of the Lord at first it kind of seems like Paul um, makes an abrupt switch from one situation to a new one it's like Paul is dealing with something and then he goes squirrel you know um, I'm accused of that all the time um, Paul's uh, you know he's been he's been talking about uh, the ministry of the Apostles and all of a sudden he jumps to sexual immorality um, Paul brings up this case of sexual immorality, but there's a link with everything that's gone before it. Um, and, uh, he, there's a link between the factionalism of chapters 1 through 4, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, uh, and the tolerance of immorality. And there are two words that tie the two sections together. And the first word is physio, or it means to be pumped up, or, or proud, or boasting. And the second is the word dunamis or power. Um, so first you are puffed up. In chapters one through four, they'd become puffed up. They boasted in following, uh, a particular person. All right. And in chapter five, they'd become puffed up in their tolerance toward this immoral situation. And the second word is power. In chapters one through four calls Paul Calls on the Corinthians to let the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be demonstrated among them. You know, uh, and uh, and um, actually, the the, the the I'm sorry, the word power in the first uh, four chapters is the power of living by the power of the gospel, and it's chapter five where the Corinthians are challenged um, to let the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be demonstrated among them, and to to uh, excommunicate this this man to to uh, um, exercise proper church discipline here, so puffed up and power are two words that tie these these sections together, um, so they're not quite as disjointed as as they might seem. He didn't just uh, see a squirrel and run after that. So Paul said that he's going to come with a stick or or in love, um, and which way he comes is going to depend on, well, in part, on their response to this issue. You see, he has already written to them about this before. That's what he says in verse um, uh, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Um, uh, this, this had come up before, which... Kind of, if you think about this, this is First Corinthians, but he's written to them before. So, uh, there was a letter that came, you know, and and he he wrote them, and they must have written back, and then he writes them again. That's First Corinthians. Then they write back, and responses come, and then he writes back again, and that becomes Second Corinthians, which is actually Third Corinthians, but we don't have First Corinthians, so we just say we have one and two, or. Two becomes one, and three becomes two. All right. Um, so he's written to them before about this, and now he's got to talk to them again. It's actually reported, he says, by maybe by Chloe's people. All right. Um, and and it seems that this case of this sexually immoral man who has his father's wife is is a notorious case or situation even in a culture where there was rampant uh, immorality going on it is so notorious he says that it surprised even the pagans among you i mean this situation is something that even makes the sailors in corinth blush all right um and what makes what what's important for paul um is certainly to address the situation. He's got to, he's got to deal with the, immorale, in the, the immorality of the situation. But, but the reason it's really important for Paul to address this is because it's threatening the identity of, of the Christian community there in Corinth. And the underlying question in the whole thing is, how can the church support? Or how can the church show indifference to a situation like this, viewing who we are theologically? Okay. He's going to, it's very important for Paul. Um, how can it be that you remain complacent, arrogant, puffed up? How is it that this doesn't even phase you, folks? It phases the pagans, but it doesn't seem to be phasing you. Hmm. Um, well, that kind of led me to to just ask the question: What kinds of things don't seem to phase the church today? What things doesn't faze the church? You know, the um, whole issue of abortion. I mean, my goodness, haven't we talked enough about that? Let's move on. Um, or poverty. Or all the Christians that are being persecuted around the world. But as long as I can live right here, right now, it's good. Let's leave it alone. Um, living together without benefit of clergy we looked at as dinosaurs when it comes to that. You probably have others in mind. So, you know, you, you can kind of think, well, Paul might have some of the same things to say to us as he had to say to, to uh, the, the, um, the Corinthians. And note who Paul confronts. He doesn't confront the individual right here. Um, he confronts, the congregation, who has been looking the other way. That's who he confronts. Uh, He speaks to you, in the plural. There is an illicit sexual relationship among you. uh, Among you, the people of the congregation in Corinth, the body of Christ. And it's the kind of which that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. Um, Now, just kind of a picture here. The Jewish people following the Old Testament, Uh, condemned sexual immorality uh, from Leviticus chapter 18, uh, uh, condemned adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and other sexual aberrations, and and also uh, a man living with his father's wife. But also even the pagans who are known for their lax behavior seem to have been horrified by what was going on. Um, Gaius, who was a second century Roman jurist, wrote this. It was the second century. Um, It is illegal to marry a father's or mother's sister, nor can I marry her who was at one time my mother-in-law or stepmother. Okay, that's what the pagans think. Uh, Cicero in the first century called the practice disgusting, and uh, there was a a, a poet by the name of Catullus, and uh, he was a rather sexually liberal poet, and he called this kind of thing, abhorrent. Um, So the perceptions outside of the church do matter uh, in relationship to our Christian witness and integrity. The pagans even said this is bad. What are you guys allowing it for in the the church? Um, So Paul rebukes the congregation for tolerating this relationship. So it seems that the Corinthians prided themselves in being so open, so broad-minded, so Absolutely tolerant of everything. So inclusive, it was like they were obsessed with their own autonomy, their own freedom. We can do whatever we like. I mean, after all, maybe they got that idea from Paul, you know, misusing their Christian liberty. Paul had said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes to them, all things are lawful for me. So I can go and do whatever I want. No, but then he says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And they were being dominated by their their boasting, their tolerance in all, uh, in all of this. Um, uh, now, some commentators suggest this is what was going on. They were tolerating this. They were accepting this, even though it was a rather gross scandal, because they were trying to accommodate... A member who is a rather wealthy member, and if we tick him off, he's gonna leave the church. And how can we survive if he leaves the church? So let's just let it go. Um, so rather than being puffed up about their so-called Christian freedom, Paul says that this incident should have caused them to to mourn. This should be breaking your hearts. Uh, This should bring you to your knees in tears, Paul says. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah and Daniel, they all have prayers of national confession uh, from Daniel. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us belongs the the shame of face. That's what what Paul's saying. This is the shame of face here. Um, It's as if one of you has died. And Paul's saying, you are partially responsible for this, in that you weren't saying anything. You know, sometimes we sin by doing things, and sometimes we sin by not doing things. And Paul's concern here is for the whole body of Christ there in Corinth. Um, And if all the parts of the body showed proper respect and concern for one another, they wouldn't have let this matter fester. Um, so they 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 failed to recognize the enormity of the sin. Um, and it's true, God gifts us with forgiveness, full and free. Um, but they were also called to crucify their sinful thoughts and deeds and pride in them. All right. Uh, so Paul's made up his mind about what's supposed to happen here. Um, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. This person and his conduct must be confronted and dealt with, he says. Um, So Paul advocates this. He says the congregation is to remove this man from fellowship. Um, But the reason they're supposed to do it is to startle him, to get him to see the reality of his sin and cause him to repent. Um, But this isn't just Paul's idea. Paul is inspired by God to write this. And so it's also the Holy Spirit's thought in this as well, that they meet in verse 4. Um, They assemble as a corporate entity and Paul will be with them in spirit, as he says. And in the powerful name of Jesus, hand him over to Satan, verse 5, the prince of the world. Okay, Since the man's attitude has been so thoroughly worldly, it only is fitting that we return him to the world, um, which lies in the grip of the evil one. Um, That he not be permitted to eat with us, that he not be permitted to receive the Lord's Supper, um, for what has light to do with darkness? Um, and I think, and, and others don't agree with me, and that's quite all right. I think this means corporately as the church. Okay? Um, that he is not to come and receive the Lord's Supper, uh, uh, with them, uh, and that's, that's, that is either, um, publicly or privately, because the Lord's Supper, there's no private Lord's Supper. All right? um but but also uh as a church body uh this man is not invited to come to the church potluck no no he, he what has light to do with darkness here um um i'm not quite so sure that it means individually because somebody needs to witness to this man um uh somebody needs to to keep reminding this man of god's law and his gospel and get this man to repent and and come back um and that's Paul's purpose. He says his purpose is first for the destruction of the flesh with the ultimate positive purpose that the spirit may be saved at the day of the Lord. Paul wants this man in the faith. Um, And by removing him, Paul hopes to bring about this destruction of the flesh. Okay, what's that mean? Um, Some of the Early church fathers like Tertullian and Christendom and, and others said that uh, this is a reference to physical punishment, kind of like what happened to Ananias and Sapphira um, when, when uh, they died after, after their sin. Um, and uh, uh, what happens uh, after or when the, when the Lord's Supper is misused. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says some of some people have become physically ill. And others have fallen asleep, and that doesn't mean they fell asleep in church. That means they died. They misused the Lord's Supper, and they physically died dead and buried. All right? Um, Serious business to me. The Lord's Supper, if you think about it, is one thing that has a warning label attached to it. You know, none of us balk at, you know, you go to the pharmacy and you get some a prescription, and and it has a warning label attached to it. And we think that's very, very appropriate because misusing this could hurt you. Paul attaches a warning label. Don't misuse the Lord's Supper. It can hurt you. This is serious business, right? We'll look at that uh, when we get to chapter 11. All right, we're going to pause
0: right there, pay some bills if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback@fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian Quick break, and we come back, balance of today's lecture on the book of 1 Corinthians by Pastor Ron Hodel. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We will be right back.
1: God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor needs them. you're listening to fighting for the faith you're listening to pirate Christian radio we'll be
2: taking your false doctrine now <laughs> presents Church Day
1: Select
2: And now, Max Holiday's birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with
3: Mildred
2: Um, Mr. Sunshine Your three o'clock appointment is here Oh good! Send them right on in. Will do, Mr. Sunshine. Oh, dear. I've completely forgotten who I'm meeting. Let's just see who it is. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Brightweight was at 1 o'clock. Miss Woodhead was at 2. And at 3, we have... No...
3: oh dear not again
2: sorry about that
3: it was merely
2: a reflex action i'm trying to get that fixed so anyway why are you here today
3: i was assigned to you again after my attitude didn't approve last time did you forget already it must be because you don't like me
2: of course i don't uh uh hate you Nobody hates you here. We all
3: love it when you're not around. I, 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 I
2: mean... Uh... <laughs> Let's get down to business. We're here to discuss how you performed in our newest Lead Like Jesus program. I'll just pull up the complaint file here. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. Approximately three hours later. So after you failed to walk on the lake, you then disappeared for two weeks. And were luckily found by hikers in the mountain who claim they found you deliriously raving about how you refused to turn a rock into bread. Do you have anything to say for yourself?
3: But I thought I was leading like Jesus, like you told me to. Uh,
2: I think you failed to see the purpose of this ministry outreach. There are a few accounts that even I can't even understand. Here, explain
3: this one right here. Well, in Matthew 21, Jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered away because it didn't bear any fruit. So my neighbor down the street planted a lemon tree about three years ago, and I've never seen any lemons on it. So, I walked over and cursed it, but it wouldn't die, so I used sulfuric acid instead. What are
2: you doing to my tree? You maniac! Get out of my yard! Uh...
3: What? Why is my tree melting? Sir, do you have a moment to talk about the Lead Like Jesus program? No, I don't
2: have time to... Stop changing the subject! Get off my lawn! Stop! Stop! stop. I, I get it! Okay, how on earth did you get banned for life from the local soup kitchen?
3: Well, remember the feeding of the 5000 in Matthew chapter 14?
2: Yes, we all know the story! You don't mean to tell me!
3: Well... All right, Mildred, we have a large shipment of food that just came in. We need you to direct the men to put it where it all belongs.
2: Right, where do you want it all?
3: Oh, sir, we don't need your food today. I'm just going to lead like Jesus and have God provide these people with food. What?
2: If you don't mind me saying, but I think God will provide all the food on this heavily laden truck.
3: It's okay, my pastor had a vision that this would work.
2: Well, that settles it. Men, we've got the wrong place. We thought this was a soup kitchen, but it turns out that this is a loony bin. Head out!
3: Uh, Mildred? Where's the food? Don't worry. This is all the food we need. That's just two-its crackers and three dead goldfish. I'm leading like Jesus. If you just give me a wicker basket, I'll lift it up and God will multiply it. The only thing that's gonna multiply is the number of bruises on your face!
2: Good gravy! That's not what you're supposed to be doing at all!
3: But I'm supposed to... I know.
2: You're supposed to lead like Jesus. But you've clearly took this too literally. And this last one about you making a whip from electrical cords and chasing the poor baristas from the coffee shop in the church foyer while screaming something about brood of vipers and uh, turning God's house into a den of robbers is, is taking it too far. Well... No! Not again! No more flashbacks! Why well, do you keep getting these anyway? Sunshine, open up. This is the police. We received an anonymous phone call from Biblical Repair Man about you corrupting the youth and forcing them to do terrible things in the name of God. Curse you, anonymous caller! I can't go back to prison! You'll never take me alive, coppers!
3: Ah! Um, does this mean our session is over?
0: morning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor never actually teaches the Bible with any depth. Kind of an important thing to do, don't you think? just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, and you can partner with us. That's right, it's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do So by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right. Here is the balance of today's lecture by Pastor Ron Hodel on the book of First Corinthians. Here we go.
1: So the idea here is that some sort of bodily punishment by Satan would uh, have the effect of causing this man to repent so that his spirit, so that his person might be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, some, some teachers have gone so far as to say that, um, the, that Paul wanted the congregation to literally, literally, that's out of Parks and Recreation, um, Sorry. Um, my wife laughed, uh, you can see we're way behind in our TV shows, right? Um, it's got to come up on Netflix before we, before we're into it. Um, uh, some commentators think that Paul wants the congregation to literally kill this man, physically kill him, um, be his executioner, um, and in 2 Corinthians, since the, since the congregation disobeyed Paul and didn't kill him, and the man came to repent, now Paul doesn't want him killed either, welcome him back. Um, but of course, if the man had died, then, uh, the whole opportunity to lead the man to repentance and restoration wouldn't be there. And that, that's Paul's main purpose in this whole thing. But physical punishment might not be, uh, the case. And it probably wasn't. Paul, Paul doesn't always use the word flesh in physical terms. Okay? We don't want to become dualistic in our thinking where the physical is bad and the spirit is good. Uh, that can't possibly be the case because the scriptures know nothing of the final salvation of a sinner's spirit um, apart from his body. All right, We actually believe in the resurrection of the body. Um, so either the spirit and the flesh are saved or neither is saved. Um so, uh, flesh can simply mean that, that old Adam part of us that's so instrumental in sin, that's gotta die so that the new life in Christ, uh, can, can live. All right. He's talking in a sense, in an ethical sense. By flesh, Paul's saying that the Corinthian sinner has allowed his old Adam to triumph over his new Adam. Okay. Now, has that ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, okay. So should we all be excommunicated? Um, that does happen to us. But think of the situation that's going on here as opposed to the situation that's going on for you. Um, when it's definitely outright sin and it's public and it doesn't bother you and you're not repentant and you're willing to throw it back in the face of God, and in the, the face of His body, the church. That's when it becomes a a, a problem worthy, in the end, of excommunication. Um, so that's that's the difference, um, and that's something that this incestuous man had not done. So Paul's aim here is to get this man to see his sin. Um, this is a short quote from uh, a Lutheran commentator by the name of Lenski. Um, All barriers, even the outward shams, are now down for this man. Okay. He is free to give full sway to his fleshly lusts. You're out of the church. You don't have to worry about what anything we say. You're out. You can do whatever you want. Go ahead. You know, um, but by their very excess, these have a tendency to defeat themselves for the works of the flesh. Produce happy and joy and contentment? No. The works of the flesh produce bitterness and gall as their fruits. The prodigal, the prodigal son, separated from his father, came down to the level of swine. That helped eventually to save him. It was a contributing factor in God's hands. Some sinners must taste the dregs before they realize what their sin really is. By running to its own extreme, the flesh often defeats itself. End of the quote. Um, So Paul's aim here is that this man, finding himself without the approval of the congregation, without the approval of his friends, without the support of his community, that he come to a change of heart and be restored, that he might be saved, body and soul, flesh and spirit, on the last day. And Paul has another purpose in all this as well to get the congregation to stop being so puffed up and arrogant, to clean out the old leaven, this immoral man for sure, but also the leaven that's contaminated the whole congregation as well, which is where he goes in the next few verses. Uh, he starts talking about some other things as well. We um, All right, why don't we just stop there and just uh, any uh, questions or comments at this point? Verses 1 through 5. Um, all the way in the back.
3: Um, Jesus said, "The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." Now, how should we explain this to someone when we don't want to be Platonists? And is this the old man, the new man? And how should we explain this?
1: That's the way I would go with it: old and new man. Yeah, um, that the, the and and that the flesh. The, the, that's John John three, right? That that that. that us in our fallen, sinful state um, are more than just weak. Okay, we're dead. Okay, that's that's where that's where we're at. To see that that's how far down we really are. Okay, um, so that that's where I would go with that. Questions on excommunication. Um, just as an aside on that uh it's it's um it's such a serious thing in the old pastoral practice books uh um i don't know what's written these days, but there was an uh it was an old book when I was in seminary and and the author's name was fretz and uh talking about excommunication now you have to understand that this was written maybe after the civil war, yeah, maybe about um it was a long time ago in the history of the country. Uh, in the history of our population, and when he talked about when he talks about excommunication, he says it has to be so clear, uh, and please don 't throw stones. Um, it has to be so clear. Remember remember my preface women didn 't have a vote in the congregation, okay there was no uh, women 's suffrage in the congregation right only only the men voted in voters meetings but someone 's sin needed to be so clear, and this thing needed to be so plain and evident. That, that Fritz says that, um, that the first off, the women vote on this one. And if even a woman, even if one woman disagrees, then there's no excommunication possible. Um, that's how clear it has to be. Yeah, Paul. General congregational practice is about a three-quarter majority vote in a congregation for an excommunication uh, to happen, at least in a lot of congregations, to protect the congregation from the pastor and the pastor from making an error in judgment on the excommunication but how does that work for a congregation like this that Paul's addressing where they're boasting and things are just so uh, out of hand they're without, they're without a, a good pastor and it takes a long it's going to take a lot of work on this congregation Um I know that it's it's really fun to take a look at at Corinth because Corinth uh shifted here uh they they actually excommunicated this man and he actually came back and the whole thing worked uh worked uh like hand in glove. I mean, this was awesome. In in uh, the nuts and bolts of a, of a congregation today, even in a good congregation, these are really tough things. Now, if you have a congregation that is very very um you know, adamant to not deal with certain situations, uh, say, for instance, this situation came up and it was a, uh, uh, an influential person in the congregation, um, and nobody wanted to excommunicate that person and nobody wanted to, to, to say anything. And the pastor sees this needs to be dealt with. He's probably going to get the left foot of fellowship from that congregation. Okay. But that congregation better, uh, which is wrong, by the way. Um, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but what, what, What they think is they have gotten rid of the antagonist in the congregation, that rotten pastor who wants to deal with the situation. What they haven't gotten rid of is God and his power and his judgment. Okay, And I dare say, and I'm I'm just speaking out of turn and without any research, but those congregations don't last long. They don't last long. They start dwindling down um, because... Those who see the wrong in that end up leaving because what is light to do with darkness? And this is a dark place. And I think that's what ends up happening. Um, I don't have any research done on that, but um, in some of those situations like this, I, you're going to have to turn that person over, or that congregation over to the Holy Spirit who will have his way with them. Yeah. Um, Bob? Yeah. Uh, just a, a question Uh on a practical matter, it seems that the case we're dealing with here has had gone public uh, long before Paul wrote to them. Sure. Now, as a practical matter, wouldn't the, the pastors, uh, when this first is discovered, go to the person privately, as in Matthew, it's recommended in conflict to,
2: to go to your brother, uh, you know, privately. Sure. Then that
1: use that conflict uh, resolution process would you as a practical matter, would you do that first? Well, that would be the first step, yeah, that would be the first step yes and, and then, if there's no repentance or no remorse, no right, right. Uh, uh, then it then it has to escalate yeah. or if the pastor doesn 't know about it, you go yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right okay let 's go on with the next section here. Um, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with old the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so Paul's imagery of leaven works on two levels. Um, Paul addresses a counter-argument from the congregation right up front. Um, can, how can the sin of one individual really bother the whole congregation? Pastor, it's just a little thing, all right? It's You know, it's just one person. How is it going to cause a problem? Well, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of leaven, you know, uh, leavens the whole loaf of bread. Um, a little tiny drop of poison in your coffee kind of... Destroys the whole coffee, you know. Um, And it underlies also the newness of the new creation that we are in Christ. Okay, your boasting is not good, he says. Uh, That the congregation has allowed this to continue on is not good for the church. Do you not know? This should have been self evident to you, but you pass it off as if it's a small thing. But it's not a small thing at all. Leaven has. Unstoppable effects outside of the proportion to its size. Okay? So, Paul says, Were you guys as wise as you like to claim you are? Because they thought they were wise. They thought they were the cat's meow. I guess that's a real old saying. Um, uh, You should have known that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus even talked about it. Um, It's a little thing. But it's a big thing. Uh, Allowing this man to continue in the congregation's midst without dealing with it was like letting a little cancer continue until it corrupts and kills the whole body. Um, Any sign of cancer, and we do everything we can to eradicate it. And same here. It's a little thing, but it's a big thing. So he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So, of course, anybody who bakes knows the power of leaven. Well, any Jew hearing this would have thought about how at the Passover they were to cleanse out every scrap of leaven from their houses, Um, unleavened would have reminded any Jew in the congregation's midst of the new beginning that they had in the Passover, uh, that their redemption came from the blood of the Lamb, uh, It would remind them how quickly their their redemption, their freedom came. They didn't even have time to let the bread rise. Um, so what Paul does is he makes the leaven a symbol of how infectious evil is in a congregation. And, uh, his command to expel the immoral man is, is, is based on this background. As the Israelites cleansed out every trace of leaven from their houses, so the church is to cleanse out every trace of the leaven of immorality from within their midst. Um, how can the church in Corinth celebrate its new life in Christ, their Passover lamb, while publicly flaunting all of that old leaven stuff? Okay? There's what's called an imperative indicative here. Um, imperative the, word, the imperative speaks of what has to be done. It's imperative that you pay your taxes because we got a big debt. All right <laughs> Sorry. Um, the indicative indicates something about you. You are a child of God. okay that says something about you. So it's imperative that you cleanse out the old leaven. It's imperative because the indicative is true about you. And what's true about you is you are really unleavened. You are God's sanctified people. That's who you are. The imperative is spoken because the indicative is true. Be who you are is what he's saying. through the word of god um he makes his church what she is she's holy that's what that's who you are you are holy now be holy, be who you are it's a, a indicative imperative here um, for Christ, our passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival um I think he's kind of getting at, uh, you know, every day is Easter for us. So we celebrate God's forgiveness. We respond with holy living. Um, and, uh, of course, then the question comes up, if they're led by the Spirit, why do they need to be told to do all of this? And, of course, the Lutherans have a good answer for that. It's because, we need to be told because we are at the same time saints and sinners. That's who we are Uh in ourselves, the sinful nature still needs to hear the imperative, um, and the new person in Christ still needs to be instructed and guided by the Spirit uh, in his, uh, through the Word. All right. So let us celebrate not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Um, malice and evil are simply generic words to cover all kinds of sin. So what Paul does here is, um, we all agree on the big sexual sins, okay? Yeah, we, can, we can all just nail those, you know. Um, uh, but then he throws in malice and evil. That's all kinds of sins. Now he's kind of talking about all of us. Um, rather than live with the old yeast of malice and evil, the stuff that belongs to the world, live based on who you are. Um, uh, in sincerity and truth. Uh, Okay. Let's go on with... uh, Let's go on just 9 through 13 and just see how far we go. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. Good with that one. Or greed. Or as an idolater. Reveler. Drunkard. Or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. But what have I to do with judging outsiders? is Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil one from among you. So I said Paul's earlier written this letter to them about the sexually immoral people. Um, he had to write to them because of the widespread acceptance of immorality around them. Uh, they might have uh, misinterpreted Paul and what he meant there. Um, maybe they were saying, maybe we shouldn't associate with anybody outside. Of the, uh, outside. Um, uh, uh Kind of like the church should withdraw from the world, um, become a Christian ghetto, uh, be God's frozen chosen. Um, But he wasn't saying to not have anything to do with any sexually immoral person. You'd have to leave earth to do that, that's what he says. Um, uh, Paul makes it clear he meant not to continue associating with those in the church who were living lifestyles contrary. To God's will. And I already talked about, um, and it doesn't bother them, and it's brought up to them. They don't see the sin in it. It's no big deal. They'll throw it in the face of God, throw it in the face of the church. Um, You can't continue associating with that. Um, But it's it's not just sexually immoral people. We love jumping on the backs of sexual sins. Um, It's also those who are greedy, the covetous, um, the swindlers... Those who use deception to obtain something fraudulently. The lie teller, you could say. The idolaters. Those who fear, love, and trust in anything other than the true God. And you'll have more to say about that later on. Well, you know, he starts, he starts hitting all of us. He, he, you know, he gets our attention with the sexual immorality thing, and then he starts nailing us personally. So in his former letter, Paul had urged the Corinthians not to not to um, associate with the immoral people, Um, and uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, he he adds lifestyles that are incompatible with the Christian faith. Um, Reveller, those who uh, a reveller is one who criticizes abusively. criticizes abusively, and the drunkard, those who are enslaved to alcohol or whatever other substance. Um, And uh, he says, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. So this is serious business. Well, if you start to think about all the variations on sexual immorality, greed, swindling, idolatry, criticizing abusively, and substance abuse, we start to see that includes all of us. So the question is, is there any hope for us? Um, And as I said earlier, it's true that there are times we fall prey to these kinds of things. What's different about this situation as opposed to what's going on with you is you admit it. You grieve over it. You seek to change by the power of the Spirit. You seek to amend your sinful life, to avoid these kinds of sins in the future. That doesn't mean that we're perfect at it. It doesn't mean that we won't ever slip up again. And if you don't slip up again, um, Satan will find some other chink in your armor where he can fire his dart. I, I, I was—I think it's a Luther quote somewhere, but but he talked about uh, the fact that the the sins of his youth were sexual, okay. But he's over that, all right. The sins of his of uh, of him in older age was greed, you know. So okay, I conquered the sexual sin. Oh, he probably just lost desire. Um, now he's on to something else. Sin is sin, all right? Um, in other words, the, uh, what's going on here is these people were letting sin rule over them. Um, they had given up the battle. They had surrendered to the enemy. And Paul says they can no longer be characterized as Christian brother, but as immoral. He says have nothing to do with them anymore. Um, don't even eat with them. As I said, it's all to bring the people or bring the sinner here. This whole situation is to bring the sinner to a knowledge of his sin, to repentance, to a change of life, um, uh, and, and back, and back into the fold. That's what Paul wants. And that's what, what our Lord wants for all of us, who wills none of us to, to, um, to all of us to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And thanks be to God that in this situation, It worked. All right. Well, let's go ahead and stop there. And uh, we'll pick up with lawsuits against believers. Okay. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you.